0: The book of Luke, chapter number 9, if we can, please. We've been taking time to go through that. Tonight, I'm almost sure the Lord's going to lead me to go to Luke chapter 16. If you would like to read that this afternoon in preparation for tonight, I would certainly love to have uh, your... You bring the cake. We'll see if we can find some icing, okay? And you go ahead and read that this afternoon. Luke chapter number 9, those were continuing this passage of Scripture. If you're here today and you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. I remember having that same question in my own heart. Someone confronted me and said, John, do you know for sure when you die, you're going to heaven? I did not know. And it's, it's, it's terrifying because you know that death is all around you and you need Jesus. You know and I know that I'm a sinner. There's not a, there's not a priest, there's not a pastor, there's not a church, there's not a system, there's not a baptistry that can wash away your sin. Only, and you can't forgive your own sin. You'll have to get that done by someone who loves you. And the innocent Jesus died for you and I, the guilty. And he tells us that salvation is not in a program. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not in you. It's not in me. It's in Christ. If you're here today, the Bible wants you to know that eternal life is yours for faith, trusting Jesus and Him alone. I don't want you to leave without that knowledge today. But most of my message today will be for those who have already accepted Christ as your Savior. Jesus has now chosen His disciples, and He's, he's now in the, in the last uh, year and a half of His ministry. He's going about doing things, and now they've learned enough. He sent them away. He sent them to do a job. How long they stay away, I don't know. But he does send them out. He says, now I've shown you how to do it. I've chosen you. I've spent time with you. I've given myself to you. I've I've demonstrated how to do this. Now it's your time to go. And I'm going to give you power and I'll give you authority. This is pre-cross now, before Jesus went to the cross. He says, now those 12 disciples in particular and probably some others besides them. He said, now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to send you out two by two. And when when you go out, you're going to go primarily to the Jewish people, to the household of Israel. I want you to go out, and I want you to see them. Now, they were used to having prophets come their way. And he will tell them, this is the second time that uh, the first time he'll do this, and he sent them out one time, and now he sent them a second time. He'll give them some admonition later. Luke chapter 9, verse number 1, it says, Then he called his disciples together and gave them power and what? Over all devils and cured diseases. Now, let me just say to you, my personal opinion, at the time that Jesus was walking the planet, Satan and his strategy had put as many, as many demonic powers in that region of Israel that has ever been there before or since. I believe all his energy was trying to get to Jesus and to complicate his ministry prior to the cross. And so you read in the disciples, you'll read, excuse me, in the Gospels, he's having to cast out many demons. Because I think Satan understands he, he, his shelf life is very short. But he is serious about coming against Christ and his work. Now, he's still doing it today. He's the prince and power of the air. Well, you hear all kinds of things about exorcisms and and horror movies and things of that nature. And I think the longer we get in society, the more that's going to become more obvious. But it is real today, and it was real then, but I think it was on steroids in that area. Satan understood. He said, I've got the Son of God there, and he created a tremendous amount of satanic opposition. And by the way, you and I, when we serve Jesus Christ, you're going to get some attention too. Where there's movement, there will be friction. And where there is an attempt to please the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is going to come and aggravate you. Say, Pastor, you're playing spooky stuff. I'm not telling you, I'm just telling you something I see from the scriptures, and quite frankly, I've experienced it a few times in my own life. So I don't have any satanic problems because you're not doing anything (laughs) that's of any eternal significance. So I don't need to pray. Start serving Jesus. You'll feel feel the need to pray. Start a bus route, you'll say, I need help. Go to the mission field, you'll start praying. Do something for God and you'll find out it's going to need elevated faith in God and his help. Because satanic activity will come your way. Jesus had it, but he gave them power and authority to overcome it. Continue on. We see here, he said unto them, preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what they're supposed to do. He said, go out there and share the kingdom of Christ. And he gave them ability to heal the sick. And that was really, once again, this is for the Jewish people. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Jews required a sign. That means they needed miracles. They had the inside track that they're a Messiah coming. And so because of that, there were a lot of crackpot Messiahs that were showing up and saying, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, worship me, worship me. So the way they would know he's really a Messiah, number one, they would bring a predecessor, and that would be John the Baptist, and he'd already come. Number two... They would be given supernatural ability, miracles, not for you and I, the Gentiles, but for the Jews in particular. Matter of fact, Nicodemus, you might remember when he got saved in John chapter 3, he said, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with unless you're God. The miracles remind, tell us, you're the real one. We know there's something you. And by the way, Jesus is in that way trying to complain, con- convey that to his disciples especially. The masses were fickle, but he had to get into the hearts and minds of these, these apostles, these, ten, these 12 men. They had to get it. And most everything he did was to make sure that they get it. And by the way, God wants you to get it today. The more that you and I understand who he is and what he can do And we'll diligently seek Him, the more faith is worked out in our life and more is done for the kingdom of God. And more rewards are given for those who one day are faithfully serving Him. So He's trying to get into their hearts. Well, He tells them here, and you'll just look at verse number three. It says, And He said unto them, take nothing for your journey. And this time He said, don't, don't take a backpack. Don't take staves or script. Don't take, don't take something, uh, money with you. Neither bread nor money, neither two coats apiece. Just take the coat you have in your back and go out. And whatsoever house you enter to, stay there, abide. And then depart, then leave when it's time to go. And whosoever will not receive you, go out of the city, shake off their very dust of your feet for a testimony against them. If they won't receive you, don't worry about it, go to the next place. And they departed and they went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Well, he gave them this, and this time he says, look, Don't even, don't take money. Don't take a backpack. Just, you've got two coats. Just leave one of them back and just take one. And go out there for this time. And how long it was, we don't know. He said, I want you just to trust me. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22 that when they went out, not a one of them came back As said, I did, I went hungry. I didn't have what I needed. He goes, you lack nothing. And everywhere they went, There was some receptivity and there was some rejection. By the way, any time you start to witness to people, you're going to have some folks who say, tell me more. Other people say, shut your mouth. (laughs) I'm not interested. So he said, it's going to be the same. He said, those who will let you, abide with them and teach them. Those who don't let you, dust off your feet and say, you know what? You don't want it? You don't get it. We'll go somewhere else. And he told them that. Well, through that what work that not only Jesus did, and they did, it got the attention of Herod. Now, Herod had already killed the predecessor, John the Baptist. But you'll see in the next verse, would you look at verse number 7? Now Herod, the tetriarch, heard of all the things done by him, and he was what? He was confused. What? What's going on? He had a lot more questions than answers, because it was said of some that John had risen from the dead. He said, some people said, I think John's come back to life. And that that haunted him. And some said, Elias had appeared. And others, one of the prophets had risen. And Herod said, John, have I beheaded? I killed that guy, didn't I? And who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. And of course, the the civil government gets their curiosity up when God is doing something. And that's that's just the truth. And this guy got a little curious. You can tell when the the civil government doesn't give a rip, especially whenever Christians are apathetic. They're not doing anything. You start soul-winning, having things in the community, well, the civil government's going to get a little excited about that. And they're going to get curious, and certainly it happened here. The next thing we see is that Jesus finds himself in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is Philip's hometown, also where possibly James and John and Peter were somewhat near that area in Capernaum. So Jesus, once again... God is giving Luke opportunities to chronicle what Jesus is doing. So he sends them out and gives them authority. And uh, then he, they come back, and there's, there's great, and then Herod's getting excited about it. Now they're back again in Bethsaida. And the crowds are flocking to them, five thousand men at one time. Look, if you would please, if you would please, at verse number ten. And the apostles, when they were when they returned, told all that was done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, it followed him, and he received them and and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. Verse number 12, would you read verse 12 with me if you would please? And when the day began to wear away, and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and the countries round about, lodge, and get victuals. Okay, and especially at this time of the year, I was a school teacher for 11 years, and I, this was one of my life verses in May. Send the multitudes away. Let them go home. Let them go away for the summer. Don't, no, no, we don't need summer school. Thank you, let's go. Uh, they, they, it, there is 5,000 men. There's a lots of crowd control. Jesus is preaching. It's coming up toward the end of the night. And, and the disciples said, hey, Jesus, I mean, you're doing a great job preaching, but uh, these guys need to get home. <laughs> it's getting late. We've got to find some place to stay tonight. They've got to get something to eat. And he said, I think we need to send them away. And Jesus said, well, let's feed them. And boy, that threw him into a tizzy. Feed them. How could we feed them? And, of course, we had this particular story mention all four of the Gospels. It's one of the only things, apart from the crucifixion and the resurrection, that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is that Jesus fed 5,000 people at one time. John chapter 6 gives us a little more intricacies about that. It tells about Andrew finding the little boy and bringing him to Jesus, and Philip going crazy thinking of his iPhone and checking all the things that he'd have, how much money he would have to have. All that's in in another book. But this one just said all they had was five little, it would be like the size of a hamburger bun. Five little hamburger buns and two little fishes. He goes, that's all we got, Jesus. He said, that's all I need. I don't even need that. He could do fish and chips, boom, and it would happen right there. He didn't, even need, he didn't even need that, but he goes, I'll take that. That'll be fine. And it was a notable miracle that for, forever people talked about. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later, how he fed everybody. You know, it's a wonderful thing as I think about this story, I think about this. Notice the Bible tells us, and Luke made sure we know it was a desert place. As I read that this week, I thought to myself, I know some of our dear people are going through desert places. I don't know who you are. You, you, you've gotten ready, you've come, and everybody looks so great today. And I can't tell what's going on behind those brown or blue eyes or hazel eyes that you have. Some of you, you're clicking on all cylinders. It's a good day to be you. For some of you, it's not. You're in a desert place. You're in hard times. And I'm sorry. But Let me just tell you something about your good God. He is able to provide what you need in desert places. When something looks absolutely impossible, that can't happen. You're, we're in trouble. We got, we got too many things. It's not, not possible. Let me tell you, when God steps in, he's the great equalizer. And he can meet you in moments of difficulty, discouragement, loneliness, financial challenges, emotional challenges, mental struggles, rejection from family, disappointment regarding the kids and the grandkids and maybe the, the grandparents or whatever, God loves you and He can provide your help in desert places. Don't lose sight of God's ability in times of difficulty. He loves you. Well, Jesus fed the 5,000. It was miraculous, and people were talking all about it. Look if you would please, in the end of verse number 17, and they did all eat and were all filled and were taken to the fragments that remain up. How many baskets? Twelve baskets. Some people believe that to maybe twelve baskets for each of the disciples who worked so hard that day. They got to take twelve a uh, basket home. I don't know for sure. They were back in their hometown, so that might have been the case. I kind of think that probably the little boy is the one who got to take it home. Could you imagine what he did when he came home and said, "Mom, look what God did with my lunch." You know, Andrew, get in here. Let's go. Peter, James, John, yep, yep, yep. And Judas, give it up. You know. <laughs> Oh, 12 baskets full of his mother probably said, man, I, that, God took a little bit and made a bunch. And, you know, that, I find that's what God is. He's the kind of God who can take our little and make it much. Give him a little faith, you'll find he's got great ability. When you're in a difficult time or a desert place, can I encourage you, trust God and keep going. Trust God and keep working. Keep looking to him. He is more than able to do exceedingly abundantly of all we would ask or think. There's nothing wrong with being discouraged. There's something wrong with staying that way. Especially if you're a child of God. He knows knows you. He knows your name. He knows your situation. You can love him and trust him. And here we find that. Let's now, here's the the crux of the message. And we've got all but nine minutes to talk about it. Here we go. You ready? Verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, the disciples were with him. Here is the fourth of seven times in the book of Luke where Jesus gets aside, and it shows his humanity and his need for prayer. How many think you need prayer too? We need to get alone with the Lord. We see Jesus, he said, four times. It's the fourth of, he'll do it three other times that Luke will document. This is the fourth time that he'll just stop and say, you know what, i got to get alone. And he took his disciples and he prayed, individually and corporately. The Bible says that while he was praying, the disciples being with him, he asked them and saying, whom do people say that I am? What's the opinion out there of who I am? Once again, this is maybe close to two years into his ministry. And he looks into the disciples' eyes and he says, Guys, what's the word on the street? Who do people say I am? Somebody says, well, I think you're maybe John the Baptist reincarnated. So you can see what it says, verse number 19. And he answered and said, John the Baptist? Some say that. Elias, Elijah, coming back to life. Others say. One says, you're one of the old prophets, is risen again. And Of course, in the book of Matthew, it'll say Jeremiah. Maybe you're Jeremiah, come back to life. Then verse 20, would you look at it, if you would please, and read out loud with me. Verse number 20, everybody, read it so loud, the person next to you wakes up. Okay, here we go. You ready? He said unto them, And Peter answered, said, he said, okay, that's the news on the street. Who do you think I am? And Peter answered for all the other guys and said, you know who I think you are? I think you're the Christ of God. I think you're the Messiah. And of course, you'll see in Matthew chapter 16, you can see a parallel verse here. You'll see that Jesus says to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. That was done supernaturally. The Holy Spirit of God is convincing you. By the way, everyone who gets saved, no one gets saved because of flesh and blood. You get saved because the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction of sin and of righteousness we need in Jesus Christ. Boy, I wish I could save people. I wish I could win the loss, but I, you know what my job is to do? Give the truth. That's my failure, and that's your failure. If we gave the truth more often, more people would get saved. But I can't save people, but I can give them the truth. The Holy Spirit of God has to bring about conviction of sin, of righteousness and judgment, and convincing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the real Messiah. It's interesting here, the Bible tells us that when Peter spoke, and said, I think you're the Christ, you're you're, you're God's child, you're God's son, you're God's Messiah. That's who you are. He said, well, flesh and blood didn't tell you that, Peter. My spirit's told you that. That's good. Then he went on to say, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, some people think that he was talking about Peter. I don't believe grammatically that's correct. I don't think it's, Peter didn't found the church, okay? And I don't think he's even directly talking about himself, though I thought that I think he's talking about on that truth, Christianity rests, is that Jesus is God. This is the rock bed that Jesus is the Christ. If you don't believe that, you can't be a Christian. If you don't believe that, you can't go to heaven. You can't hold to the things that say that Jesus is not God and still have the Jesus that we're talking about here. You know, he said, no, this this is the rock. The rock is the truth that Jesus is God's son and he's the savior of the world. Then he tells them in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to give you keys to the king. You know what the keys are? It's the gospel of Jesus. You know what unlocks and looses people from some slavery and captivity of sin? The gospel of Jesus. The most powerful thing on the, go- on the planet is the gospel of Christ. Apostle Paul said, I, I'm not a- ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation of everyone to everyone that believes and also to the Greek. Let's continue on our passage if we can. He said, I believe you're the Christ. And then verse 21, and straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. He said, look, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm glad you come to that realization. Keep your mouth shut. It's not time. By the way, God knows what time it is. The Bible tells us that we ought to have wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time, understanding the specialness of time. He said, look, it's not time to go out and tell everybody what you just found out, what you've just been convinced of. You're right. I am him. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. You nailed it, Peter. And do you guys all believe that? Yes. Maybe Judas didn't know for sure. But yeah, I, I, I know it. Okay, now it's not time to talk about it. It's an unusual thing. I think sometimes we think whatever we know we can say. But you know, there's something specialness about time, especially whenever you're speaking to people about the Lord. Let me tell you the next thing real quickly. And the Bible says in verse number 22, saying, The Son of Man must do what? Suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain. And would you read the rest of the verse with me? Upon their understanding of what, who he was, now he tells them something that blows them out of the water. What? He said, you're right. I am the Messiah. We're going to keep that under our little secret for a little while. It'll be coming out. But right now it's not time to talk about it because now we're on the downhill slope. We've come to the the climax of my journey. Now the rest of it's going to be a rough road. The rest of our time is going to be tough because we're going to be rejected of the the priest, the elders. They're going to kill me, but I'm coming back after three days. You know, the Bible says they they didn't see it. They couldn't figure that out. That was, that went, uh, they thought, oh, he's the Messiah. We're going to get rid of the Roman rule. This, oh, we're going 12 of us, we'll all sit beside him. We'll be rulers and we'll get the kingdom set up. He says, no, no, no. Now that you know this, there's going to be a challenging time now. We're talking about investing with eternity in view. Let's continue if we can in verse number 23, and he said unto them all, if any man come after me, this is the watershed moment. Now the rest of it is going to be an arduous challenge to get to Jerusalem and give his life for our sins and be raised again. He says, so if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. The word cross there is the first time it's mentioned in the book of Luke right there. Take up your cross. And cross was not something, a little cute little thing you wore around your neck. It was an instrument of torture. They all understood that. Matter of fact, when Jesus said in John, I must be lifted up, it wasn't like, ah, oh, let's lift him up and we'll all just worship him. No, it's like, get on a cross. You got to be on a cross. You got to be crucified. The Roman loved to keep people in fear by crucifixion publicly, naked beaten, bludgeoned, hanging up on a cross. He said, you want to you go against this? Try that. That's what, we're gonna, that's what you have in your future. They would use it as a, as a way of control. And Jesus said, that's what's going to happen to me. And they said, no, that can't happen to you. But he said, look, if you are with me, you've got to do three things to invest in eternity. Number one, and we still need to invest today. We, number one, we need to deny ourselves. Can't have it your way and my way if we're going to please the Lord. If you're going to serve Christ, you're going to have to decide. You know what? I got to. I got. I can't live in my comfort zone. I don't. I I just deserve to be happy. I'm not going to live this way. You can do anything God wants you to do. I can do all things through which strengtheneth me. You're going to have to decide. You know what? I can't just have it my way. I might have some dreams. I might have some things, I might have some stuff I want done, but I've got to, number one, if I'm going to invest in eternity, I've got to deny myself. Number two, I've got to take up a cross. And the cross is sometimes some reproach. It's not going to be easy, it's going to be challenging. And I've got to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells them, he said, look, we're on this down, now now you've figured out who I am, and you're convinced that's good. That's going to come to reality in just a a little while. He said, but right now, he said, we want you to deny yourself, put your big boy britches on, hang on to the reproach, take up your cross, hold it with you, and follow Jesus. He'll go on to tell them several things about this, and then he'll go to the transfiguration. We'll talk about that another time. Dear friend, I want to encourage you on this Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day inside. I love being with you in church. I love singing with you and seeing your, your, your spirit and your attendance and your presence. May all of us get a little bit of a serious checkup from the neck up and say, hey, am I just living in my comfort zone? Am I just giving myself what I want, what's good for me? Am I giving God what I want within my deny yourself? Whatever that means to you, it'll be different for you than it means for me. See, I don't like to be, I don't want to stand out. Jesus stood out on the cross of Calvary. You and I are going to to stand out sometimes when it comes to serving him. And then he says, follow Jesus. Make him paramount in your heart and life. Let's pray together, can we?